On today's episode... I did not grow up with Black opera singers or opera singers at all in my awareness. It just wasn't really something that I knew was possible for me. And I thought I was going to be a pop singer. I was ready to be Mariah Carey on MTV. How my first guest discovered her passion for opera and turned it into a full-time career and coaching business. And on the Coach's Corner, if you're feeling stuck, we have tips to help you get some clarity. So let me start by telling you that stuck, first of all, is a beautiful, natural part of our lives. If we're not getting stuck, we're probably not living to our full potential. Welcome to The Joy Sutton Show, where it's all about joyful conversations to inspire your life. When you show up in the world as the best version of yourself, you give other women the inspiration, courage, and permission to do the same. It's my time to take care of me. What made you think you could do it in your 50s? You know, I didn't think I could do it, to be honest with you. I was scared to death. We are all on our own journeys, but we can do this together. And there's something powerful about sharing our stories and the wisdom we've learned along the way. So let's dive into today's conversation and get to living our best lives. You have to step out on faith. You have to take the first step and go for it. Many of us have heard the saying, you weren't made to fit in. You were born to stand out. My first guest, Stephanie Ann Ball, understands that all too well. She is a black opera singer and a high performance coach who for years struggled to find her voice. I did not grow up with Black opera singers or opera singers at all in my awareness. It just wasn't really something that I knew was possible for me. And I thought I was going to be a pop singer. I was ready to be Mariah Carey on MTV. And- <laughs> Come on, Mariah. <laughs> but I started taking voice lessons when I was a freshman in high school. And this brilliant woman, she heard me sing a couple of notes. And she, <laughs> she was like, okay, so I know that you think you want to be singing like this, but your voice is really trying to tell you that you need to be singing like this. And so she slid me a a book called The 24 Italian Songs and Arias. And this is a book, every classical singer knows this book from front to back. (laughs) It's one of the first, you know, like the entry point into classical singing that we all use to study and learn about the music. So she gave me some songs from this book and she handed me a CD of Barbara Hendricks who is a legendary black opera singer. And I was like, oh, okay, I can kind of get down with this. This sounds fun. So we started working on classical vocal technique and it fit my voice like a glove. It was just absolutely perfect for my what my voice wanted to do. And that was it. I was hooked. And that was the path that I followed for the rest of my career. And how surprising was that for you? I mean, think about it. You think you're going on to be the next Mariah Carey. You're like, hey, come with it, right? And then all of a sudden, you're in this uh, this class or talking to one of your instructors in this singing class in school. You know, we all remember taking band or something like that. And she goes, whoa, 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 hold up. You should be doing opera or classical music. I mean, what's going through your mind at this point? When she said that, I mean, were you like, oh no, I, I don't see it. I mean, what were your what was your thought process? It was the opposite. It was, I had this moment where there was so much clarity and all of a sudden everything made sense. I was like, oh, okay. Now I understand why some things in my life are the way they are. So here's how it kind of worked for me. I sing in a lot of choirs and 
this thing always happened to me where my choir directors would always tell me to sing softer. They were like, Stephanie. <laughs> They're like, girl, what you doing? <laughs> Stephanie, it's too much. Stephanie, shh. Stephanie, listen to the rest of the section. And there was always this, I had, you know, this thing kind of going on in my brain where I was like, well, what is wrong with me that they don't want to hear my voice? Why are they trying to tell me to be quiet? Why don't I fit in? Why am I not good enough to be in the choir? Why don't I get the solos the way the other girls are getting the solos, this and that? So I was taking myself down this whole rabbit hole of self-doubt because my voice didn't fit in with the rest of the group. So little did I know that's because my voice was just built to do something else. I was built to not be in the group. I was built to be in front of the group. And we need both types of singers. I love choral music so much. It, it's, I think it's so powerful and so wonderful to listen to, but that's not, it's not what I'm, my voice is meant to do. I, came with a different set of gifts and thank God that that teacher saw it because I was, I felt like I was banging my head up against the wall half the time, trying to blend in. So when she said, you're supposed to do opera, I was like, Oh, no wonder because opera singers are notorious for being really, really loud. we got to get on a stage, sing over a massive orchestra, fill up the entire space all the way to the back of the hall. So when she heard that quality in my voice, all of a sudden I was like, okay, So there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just trying to sing the wrong music. Got it. Let me do this other thing. (laughs) And off we went. And so what was it like the first time you sang an opera song? What did that feel like? You know, it is, there is something so spectacular about, because with, with opera, with classical singing, you just become this vessel when you really get it right and you get your breath working for you and you get your support working for you and your space is like wide open and the sound just comes through. You become this amazing channel and you can feel every part of your body vibrate. And it is the most incredible thing ever. When I get it really, really right and it's really good, I feel so strong and powerful. I can go outside and like pick up a house if I needed to. And so the first time I experienced that feeling, I was just like, oh my gosh. I have never felt so strong in my life. And I really don't even have the words to describe how it makes you feel. It's everybody should try it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, there's so much just words of wisdom in your story, just in that part. And we haven't even gotten to the second part, but I think the words of wisdom that I hear that sometimes we're trying to fit in when God made us to stand out and If you hadn't encountered this amazing teacher who saw this gift in you, you were walking around this whole time thinking something's wrong. What am I doing wrong? Not realizing that you had a connection that was and a gift that was going to put you on stages all across the country and potentially the world. That's it. So when you see that today, what has it been like? Tell us about where you've performed and some of the things that you've done. Oh, sure. So I performed uh, mostly in the United States. I haven't done a lot of international work, but hopefully that is coming. And I've performed on big stages with opera companies lately. The past few years, I've been doing a lot of solo recital work because I did a bit of a pivot. I saw a need for more visibility around 
art songs by African-American composers. So I started doing solo recitals, just me and a piano and exploring all of this music that wasn't getting enough airtime. And fortunately now other people are starting to catch on. Now there are other little black girls who can see me and know that they can also do this. That's one of the comments that I, I get so often when I you know sing for people who don't know that black people can be opera singers. They tell me that, gosh, I didn't know that we could do this. Yes, you can. You see me doing this. And if you think it is interesting, you can go and do that as well. Did you have to learn Italian? Because I think that's a question that people are asking, because I know when we went back to the, the story of your teacher handing you the book. I mean, do you have to learn Italian to be able to do this? I mean, because opera is not just right singing. It's a language in of itself. Yes, exactly. And I have sung in Oh boy, Italian, French, German, Czech, a little bit of Russian and some Spanish and English. I sing in a lot of English these days. So it's a lot of languages and no, I did not have to learn them all. (laughs) What I have done though, most opera singers, we take a lot of diction classes. So there's this whole other alphabet that we use called the International Phonetic Alphabet. That's a different set of symbols that teaches you how to phonetically pronounce any language. So I've learned how to get the diction really, really good with all these languages. And I learned how to um, translate really well. So I know how to work a dictionary because that's part of it. When you're on stage, you have to know what you're saying and you have to know what the other people are saying to you so you can react properly. So I have a pretty good understanding of a lot of these languages. I would say uh, for me, I'm the most comfortable with German because I spent some time studying in Germany several years ago. So I'm like conversational at best. I can talk to you like a German toddler. Uh, But for the rest of the languages, I just translate a lot of words. (laughs) I think what's incredible about it is many people may not realize that you can make a career out of this. So people, how did you go from this is just something that I know is a gift that I realize I can do this and this is what my voice wants to do to this can be a career and a life for me. (laughs) So this is where the story starts to take a turn. (laughs) (laughs) There is a, a pretty traditional path for young classical singers. And that is to, you go to college, you get your bachelor's degree in vocal performance. And then you do some paid-to-sing programs, which is like an opera summer camp. So you get together with a bunch of other singers and you learn roles and you, you, know, you take lessons and that type of thing. Then typically, young singers will go back to school and get a master's degree in vocal performance. Both of those I have. And then after that, there's this idea that you do some apprentice programs with a larger opera company and you get a manager and then poof, you have a career. And that happens for about 2% of the singers that come out of school. <laughs> You're like, hey, that's like the stardom part of it. That can happen, right? Yes. But that didn't happen for you at exactly. first. Exactly. It can happen. I've seen it happen. It, that is not how it happened for me. So when I finished my graduate work, I you know, did this thing. I was like, okay, awesome. I've got my master's degree. Wonderful. Now I'm going to have a career. And I started to audition and I didn't really have a lot of luck. And I started to get frustrated and I was wondering what's going on. Why is this not working for me? And it didn't take me very long to realize that I was missing some critical skills that one needs to have a sustainable career in anything. 
I didn't understand marketing. I didn't know how to network with decision makers at a level that would actually get me jobs. I didn't know how to run my business financials like a business. So I was not tracking profit and loss. I wasn't thinking about overhead. All of that stuff that you need to know to run a business, I didn't have any of those skills. And it was really very stressful. And I found myself, my singing was getting worse and worse because I was like stressed out all the time. My health started to suffer and it was kind of awful. And there was a moment where I almost quit. Like I really was like, well, this obviously I did something wrong and this is not going to come together. So I should do something else. Um, but I was very lucky because once again, the right teacher swooped in at the right time and she said, no, no, no. Okay. So here's all we have to do. We just got to get your voice working at a higher level. That is step number one. You need to have the stamina to sing for eight hours a day, five days a week, and be able to crush a show no matter what else is going on in your life. You got to perform like an Olympic athlete, essentially. And you need to boost your professional skills and your personal skills so you are running your business like it's a business. And that is how you're going to start to make money with this thing. And I was shocked because nobody had told me any of that before. I had no idea. I was just purely talent, like at that moment. Right. I was like, oh, gosh, there's all this other stuff I have to know. Okay. So I put the brakes on and I boosted those other skills. And then it was like a switch just went off. All of a sudden, I had a full performance calendar. I had a studio of about 40 students, 40 voice students that I was teaching. And in 2015... I stepped away from my last part-time day job and I was making my entire living from classical music. It was incredible. Whoa. But you know what's so crazy? It's just taking me back because, I mean, there's so much to unpack with your story, but how you were so close to quitting because what was that that time frame like where you're like trying and you're auditioning and nothing's happening and so you're starting to question yourself. Mm-hmm. How long was that? That was a year and a half, uh, 2010 to 2011. So a year and a half, you're sitting there and no door is really opening or the right doors aren't opening. And you begin to have this moment where you say, is this what I'm really meant to do? Yes, exactly. And I also had the worst audition of my life (laughs) during that time. I just had all this mental stuff that I was carrying around and my self-esteem was so low. And that was definitely the low point where I was on stage doing a very high profile competition. I totally choked. It was a song that I knew like the back of my hand, and I just blanked on an entire passage on stage in front of all of these people. And that was the moment I was like, oh my gosh, I do not think this is for me. I do not think I can do it. And right after that is when everything turned around. So when a woman's listening to this, because I do like to, like as we're going along, and she's at a point where she's tried and she feels like she's on that verge of like, maybe this isn't for me, even though you knew you had a God-given talent. You knew that people recognized it. What would be your words to that woman who's listening in this moment, who almost feels like giving up on the gift that's inside of her? Get some help. If you are feeling that low and you're struggling that much, it's going to be impossible for you to see the solution on your own. And that is the moment where you need to look at who you know, who you can get some help from and get some help. Because there are other people who see your gifts And they want to see you succeed and they want to see you make the impact that you know that you can make. So find those people and ask them to help you. Speaking of those people, because you said, you know, first you had the teacher in high school and then in the midst of this moment of your like, this is my last attempt. If this doesn't work, another person comes in 
to help you find that path, you know, to help you along that way. But I think what's so compelling about your story, Stephanie, is you didn't just stop at the classical music. You know, this became your career, but through your own journey, you found a whole nother gift that you could give to women, that you could give to people. So tell me in the midst of getting to your height of saying, now I've, I've arrived, I've become this classical singer that I've always wanted to do. I'm doing this full time. You realize there was another piece. Tell me about that. Yes. So this was the curveball that I did not see coming. Once I stepped away from my last little retail job, I started getting questions from other people asking me for help. Hey, how is it that you always go to a job and you come back with another job? How is it that you learn your music on time? How is it that your focus is so good with all of this stuff? How do you keep your calendar together? How do you do this? How do you do that? And I said, huh. Why are all these people coming to me? I just figured this out myself. (laughs) (laughs) So I sat down and I thought about it. And I talked to a couple of friends and colleagues. And I said, is this this something else that I'm supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be helping people like get their own stuff together? And they said, yes, we're all waiting for you to come and help us. (laughs) Wow. So wait a minute. So you go from realizing that the process that you use with this other lady helping you to get to your dream that there was a component of that that you needed to teach to other people to help them to get to their dreams. Exactly. And I had no idea. This thing found me. So I said, okay, let me sit down and figure this out. So I sat down and I thought about all of the steps that I took, all of the shifts that I had to make to get from where I was to where I wanted to be. And I came up with a little system. I said, oh, okay, there. this is a very clear, like there's actually big things that I can see that I did that worked. And so I started to try it out. I started working with some friends and kind of offering advice and just seeing if it would help them. And it did. And that's when I said, okay, this, there really is something to this. This needs to be another major component of what I do because there are so many people walking around feeling like they cannot get to that big dream. And all it takes is a couple of little changes. And then you can, you'll just be off to the races with it. So I started officially coaching people in high performance skills in 2017. And I'm just so in love with how those two components of my career work together. It is just, I'm having the best time. (laughs) Wow. So now you're not only this classical singer, but you're also a high performance specialist. So who are you helping? How, who have you been, who's coming to you? How are you out? What are you doing? Sure. So I thought it was going to be artists at first. And I do get a fair amount of artists, but the most fascinating surprise of all of this was I get women from every industry coming to me for help. I've worked with lawyers, I've worked with doctors, I've worked with therapists, um, just all of these incredible women who have the problem of, they have so many creative ideas. They're these brilliant creative minds. And It's just so much that they're trying to put together that they kind of get stuck and can't get everything organized and can't be as productive as they would like to be and get totally overwhelmed with all of their projects and don't quite understand all of those amazing, unique things about themselves well enough to create a system that is sustainable. So I get in there, we work together and we uncover all of those things about themselves so they know, oh, okay. This is the time of day where I'm going to be the most productive. This is the time of day that I need to take a nap. 
This is the type of self-care that's going to recharge my batteries the fastest. This is how I'm going to network the most efficiently. All of those things. And we put a system together around that that supercharges everything that they're doing so they can use those skills for the rest of their lives to make just an incredible impact on whatever it is they're trying to do with their lives. And you know, that kind of ties into your book because you're helping not only through your coaching practice and helping you know people to go after their dreams, you have a new book. Own your light, you know, which is so funny because I'm all about shine your light. Let let your light so shine. So I think that's why we're so connected. You yes. know, I <laughs> met you. I was like, this girl is speaking my language. We are kindred spirits in yes. some way. <laughs> but tell me about own your light, because that is another thing that you're giving to the world through your own story. When you're a performer, when you're a performer or photographers know about this as well, there is a very real thing about finding your light. In a performance, there's a whole rehearsal that we have that is dedicated to lighting. <laughs> so we all get on stage and the lighting designer who has done just incredible things to make sure the performers are seen. We have to get on stage and we go from light to light. We call that cue to cue. And you have to figure out where the light is on stage, feel it when it heats up your body and move yourself into it so the audience can see you tell your story. And I thought, ah. That's it. That's what it is. <laughs> no matter what you are doing, you have to be able to figure out what your gifts are and have the courage to stand in them so other people can see you. You have to find your light and then you have to own it. Stephanie's story shines the light on what is possible when we are willing to go off the beaten path and find our own light. You never know where it might take you. Stephanie says there are actually a lot of black opera singers. They're a small but growing community. She also wanted to share a snippet of one of her performances with us. Take a quick listen. To learn more about Stephanie or her new book, Own Your Light, check out the show notes. Are you a coach, consultant, entrepreneur, or author who wants to learn how to leverage the power of the media to increase your visibility, credibility, and profitability? I'm now accepting applicants for my She Shines Academy. To learn more, check out the show notes or go to thejoysutton.com. On the Coach's Corner, I have another powerhouse woman joining me today. I'm talking with Judy Sims. She's a coach, trainer, and talent accelerator. She also has an impressive list of career achievements, including co-founding a tech startup, serving as vice president of digital media for the Toronto Star, and founding publisher of a magazine, Weekly Scoop. The reason why 
I sought Judy out. Like I literally sought Judy out because I hear so many women who tell me they're stuck and they're like, how do I get out of this place? How do I figure this out? And I was there for four years myself. And so when I saw what Judy was talking about, I said, I absolutely have to have her on the show. She's helped countless leaders get unstuck. And she even has a book called The Unstuck Leader. So Judy, I'm so excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be with you. Yeah. You know, one of the first questions I wanted to ask you is why are we stuck? Many of us find ourselves here and we're like, why, how do we end up in this place? Yeah. Yeah. So let me start by telling you that stuck, first of all, is a beautiful, natural part of our lives. If we're not getting stuck, we're probably not living to our full potential. So the first thing I always do with my clients is just take away the stigma of feeling stuck. Good for you. Good for you. (laughs) Good for you. You are stuck. Because we feel like something's wrong when we feel like we're stuck. We're like, something's wrong with me. But you're saying embrace that. Embrace it. This is excellent. You're realizing that change has to happen in your life. This is an opening. It is not a closing. And that's there's so much fear around being stuck. And we don't need to have that fear. This is an opportunity. And for a lot of my clients, they actually look back at their stuckness with fondness and nostalgia because it is a time in your life where you are so connected to yourself because you feel stuck. So it's like, oh, I need to step back and start examining who I am. And that's a good thing. And so first of all, you're stuck. Good for you. I'm proud of you. But you know what I love what you said just then? It makes us go back because if you never got stuck, you would never sit and do this like self-evaluation and examination of your life. Like what is really going on here? So I love that you said that because it's like this, this light bulb that makes you kind of take a reflection and illuminates your life to say, what is going on with me? That's right. That's right. That's why I love it. That's, I find it so fascinating. <laughs> so the other thing to know about stuckness is it's not a place, it's a process. We Sometimes we wake up one day and go, oh, I'm stuck. But we've actually been in the process of stuckness for quite some time le- leaving up to that. So think of the way stuckness starts is usually with some kind of plateau. Like the way, the, the way our conscious awareness of our stuckness begins is we hit a plateau. So we, we, for some reason, we can't move forward with something. And this causes this cycle to start to happen. So we slip into a state of fear. Mm. And we start grasping for certainty. So we want to feel safe and secure. And we start grasping for significance because that stuckness, it can be a bit of an ego hit. Like, why am I stuck? Right? Instead of celebrating the stuckness as an opportunity for change, we're like, ah, I'm stuck. What is going on? I'm bad. Yeah, right? So it's like it turns into this ego thing. And what happens from there because of that fear is we start to prioritize our own personal comfort over the truth of what's happening around us. Ooh, dig into that. Dig oh, that. that this was is, so good. I have to this stop is, here. This is the moment you get stuck. This is it when we start prioritizing comfort over truth. And it's it's the comfort of adhering to what we think we should be over what we know we could be. And this is this is the true sadness of, of so many women who get stuck and don't get out of the stuckness as they continue to prioritize the comfort of doing what's expected of them over the truth of who they really are. So is it like, kind of like our subconscious is screaming, like this isn't it, this isn't all of it? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what happens. And we know it 
right? So this is, it pulls us out of alignment from our true self. And this is a form of self-betrayal. And we know it. There's a part of you that knows when you're betraying yourself and it feels awful. And this is when the self-recrimination comes in. This is when we start to beat ourselves up. And that leads us to get entrenched in this small identity. I talk a lot about women making themselves small. So they start to think, well, I'm betraying myself. They don't, they don't actively think I'm betraying myself, but there's this underlying knowledge that they're betraying themselves. They beat themselves up over it. I'm not worthy right? That's the feelings yeah. that start to come out. These feelings of unworthiness, huge. And so many women have such quick access to shame and such quick access to feelings of unworthiness for lots of reasons. We have access to that, right? A lot of how we're raised, a lot of those should values, you know, come from childhood. They come from our parents, our teachers, and then later they come from our sisters and our friends. And we have all these notions about the women we're supposed to be instead of about the women we could be. And this is why I love my work so much, because my work is all about who you could be. <laughs> you know, that's so cool. And it's, you know, what really hit me with what you said is that we're betraying ourselves. Mm -hmm. Can you dig into that a little bit more? When you say we're betraying ourselves, is it, I know you said we're choosing comfort over truth, but it, does it mean we're we're not going after what we really want? It means we're not, being who we really are. Ooh. Right? So, okay, this whole process, it goes in a cycle, right? So everything I just described to you, you're in a plateau, you're fearful, you start prioritizing comfort over truth. This causes you to fall out of alignment with your core self. Self-betrayal comes up. Self-recrimination is a result of that. You become entrenched in this small identity and then you can't get out of the plateau. So you're deeper in the plateau and you're even more prioritizing truth over right? So it goes deeper and deeper in this downward spiral. And I call this a contractive state. So, and from this place of contraction, we become defensive and reactive. And so it's really hard to push ourselves out of that. But what it really is, is this slow process of forgetting who we are. Oh, so many of us, when you get into that place of feeling stuck, you've forgotten yes. your greatness. Yes. Who, like you were saying, who you could be. And one thing I was reading, I was reading this article about you. Like I said, I've been binging, binging your stuff because it's so good. There's so many like <laughs> golden nuggets in the information you share with the world. But it was like one of the things that is why we're stuck too is the failure to let go. Oh my goodness. That's the moment you become stuck is, is so you hold on to, one, you're holding on to these should values. You're holding on to this idea of what you should be. And then when we begin to remember who we are, we're able to come back into an expansive state. So this is where we're able to blow open all this contraction that we've had. And the contraction shows up physically. When you, when you are contracted, your shoulders are hunchy, your, your neck gets sore, like your whole physicality is affected by it. And people live like this for years. You talking about years. I think back to my own self and I felt, you know, stuck for four year and I couldn't get myself out of it. And it, and I was trying to, it was like, I was trying everything. And I was like, why do I feel so, you know, stuck? And I, one of the things like, as you've been talking through this, even that failure to let go, because mm -hmm. I had in my mind, you know, I was doing a TV show and I moved and thought this is what it should be. And people were telling me it's time to pivot. You know, it's time to rebirth. It's time to let go. And I just, for some reason, I kept thinking, but no, 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 no. I had this TV show. It's supposed to be this. Yeah. 
not unwilling to pivot. And, you know, one of the things that I had read that you said in that letting go is you have to, we know kind of when it's time, like we have these indications that it's time for something different, that it's time to maybe pivot, that it's time to go in a new direction and be our authentic self. But there's something there that we're not listening to. That's right. And we do, it's, it's, there's two, there's two factors at play. And I talk about these a lot. So certainty and significance, fear and ego, right? So when you're stuck and you're grasping and you're not letting go, it's because your fear is, well, if I let go, what's next, right? So then all of a sudden you're just hanging out there. What's that about? Followed by significance or your ego, because your ego's telling you, well, if I let go, it means I was wrong in the first place. Ooh, Right. So that's a very contractive. And then that affects your should values. Right. So then you're like, well, I shouldn't have done that or I should have known better or I should have, should have, should have, should. Right. And so the whole idea of what you could be is in the letting go. It's all right there. But we still cling and grasp. And this is the hardest thing that we can do. And the only way we can feel the confidence to let go is by entering an expansive state. And that starts with getting very clear on what your values, your could values actually are. And by values, I mean the qualities of life and character that are most important to you that touch your soul. And once you know what those things are, now you can start to move forward because it's a guiding light, right? Like it's this internal guidance system that you will have now to make decisions and your courage skyrockets because you remember now who you are. The values you hold now are probably not that different from when you were eight years old. And then you started to forget who you were probably when you entered puberty. So whenever that is, that's when we start to kind of start to conform to what society expects of us. So when you go back and you look at your values, minor things like creativity and independence and, and integrity and knowledge and connection, right? So these are the five things I use as my guiding uh, force in the world. I make decisions from this place. I choose the course of my life from this place. If something, an opportunity comes my way that does not support those values, I don't take it. And so all of a sudden you have the only form of certainty that matters. And that's your values? That's right. The certainty that you are living your life as you were meant to. And you can even expand that um, to purpose. You know what was interesting too about that? is, as I said, I was binging on some of your content. You were talking about, too, one of the things that keeps us stuck is being fo singly focused, thinking it's one thing. Oh. And I like how you said, <laughs> once you tap into your values and what's important, it may be bigger things. Do you find that many people, in addition to the failure to kind of let go, but they're, they have, they're like single focused and that is, they're like beating themselves up against this wall, like their head against this wall because they haven't done this expansion that you're talking about. Could you dive into that a little bit? Yeah. So I, I call it this work and that work. So all the most, the most successful people I know talk about, well, I do this work and it's, you know, whatever they do in their day job. And then I do that work. And it's like some totally different thing that they do. And they might have two or three different that works, like different projects. So you have to leave, I call it wateriness. You have to leave like a certain amount of room, this watery kind of flowy state within you to allow yourself to explore. So some people, you know, they're in their day job, maybe they're an accountant and working at an animal shelter starts to appeal, but they shut that down. No, I'm an accountant and that's where I make my money and that's how I pay my mortgage. It's like, well, you can do both. 
Mm. (laughs) You can spend Sundays at the animal shelter. You can do both. And how much more fulfilled you're going to be as an accountant when you're doing those Sundays at the animal shelter or whatever the thing is. I've got a whole bunch of them. (laughs) So you just have to be in this watery state. Does that just mean being flexible? And as things come into your life, just be open? Yeah, not attached. Not attached to this notion. And again, it goes right back to who we think we should be, right? Instead of who we know we could be. So you have to be able to be flexible and take life as it comes at you. When we're grasping for certainty and significance, it closes us off. We're contractive and we are focused inward. And it closes us off from all the amazing, beautiful things that are happening around us. So when we're open, so when you're in an expansive state, you're grounded in core values and purpose, yet open to new ideas, people, and situations. So there's a grounding and an opening. How wonderful. So that being open is huge. You know, you just have such a wealth of knowledge as you're talking about this. How did you get here? Did you oh, have Lord. a moment? <laughs> you're like, Joy, that's a whole other story. <laughs> but did you have a moment where you were stuck? Because I think the beauty of my podcast is that, you know, even as I bring experts on that, there are women that we can relate to, like you get it. And so I'm just wondering, what was that stuckness for you? Over and over and over again, I've been stuck. I am just about to turn 50. Uh, my first significant incidence of stuckness happened around 38. And that is, in fact, according to research, the average age when somebody starts to feel stuck in their life. That was me. Yeah. <laughs> you, was it, were you 38? Yes. I was around that age. Yeah. Like 35 to 38 in that age range is when, is when my clients come to me. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And the reason why is that you've been in this process of forgetting yourself the whole time, right? Since puberty, you've been forgetting who you are, but you didn't notice because you were in go, go, go mode, right? You were like, get through school, get my first job, get a promotion, get married, get, you know, if you want to have kids, have kids, do the whole, like there was this list of things that you were doing. And so you didn't notice you were forgetting who you were through that process. You hit 38 and you've probably done most of the stuff, right? And then you're like, oh, how did I get here? (laughs) What am I supposed to do now? And this is what, so it happened to me when I was 38. I was a corporate vice president um, and I hated every second. Like I hated every second of it. I did not like going to work. I remember one day looking at my, my schedule, my calendar for the day. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do anything on this list. (laughs) I don't want to do any of it. (laughs) This is not me because it wasn't upholding those values I told you about. And if you're in a job where your values aren't being held up, you're miserable. And this is that betrayal, right? I was betraying myself. I was in a job I could not stand that I was not suited for, but I was a corporate vice president. You, yes, you had that title. (laughs) (laughs) So I should be happy. Should, 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 right? But I was not happy. I was miserable. So I eventually kind of, there was like a mutual agreement that this was not going to work. So I ended up in the startup world. And then I was all of a sudden a tech startup CEO of a small technology startup. And once again, (laughs) I did not like it. (laughs) It just wasn't me. And I grounded out for two years. I worked so hard because of all the people who were relying on me and all the people who had invested money with me. And I worked really, really hard and eventually was able to sell that company. Uh, But it wasn't the kind of 
deal where everybody makes a ton of money, but it was at least an exit so I could have some self-respect after it. Um, And then I was lost. I was, again, stuck, 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 early 40s, don't know what I want to do. All I knew is I didn't want to work in an office. That was like the only Mm. thing I knew. I don't want to go back and work a nine to five office thing. So I started consulting. And the more I consulted, the more my clients started relying on me more as a one-on-one coach than a strategic consultant person. And it just kind of naturally happened over the course of about three years. And then one day I was like, oh, I think I'm supposed to be a coach. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, this is how these people are coming to me. This is a sign. (laughs) It's like, I I just, you know, I would, I had one client every Wednesday afternoon, I'd go and meet her and we would just go for a two hour walk. And she would just tell, she was a tech CEO and she would just tell me everything that was going on and we'd talk it through and yada, yada, yada. And she was paying me for it. And it was like, I realized after like, oh, I'm coaching her. (laughs) So it was almost like the clients knew before I did. And this is what I mean by wateriness and flow and accepting what comes at you because I would not have arrived at this myself. I would not have sat around thinking, yes, I think I want to be a coach. It just wasn't, I don't know why, it just wasn't in my my realm of possibilities in my mind at that time. And it wasn't just her. There were there was like three clients who were all using me as a coach. And so eventually I said to them, I think I'm going to become a coach. And they were all like, oh, great. So you can have me as a client. I've got these two other people. And it just kind of exploded from there. So if there was a woman who's sitting there in that office today or in that new business that she thought that she wanted to do. And she's looking at that sheet and she's going, I don't love this. There's something off. What would you tell that woman? She needs to start to remember who she is because she got there because she forgot. So it starts with what are your values? What's your purpose? Get the courage from there. Stop betraying yourself and then be watery and allow things to come into your life. And it will happen and you can do this work and that work. So you can stay in the job that pays the bills while also exploring other things that are more fulfilling. And eventually in time, maybe the fulfilling thing will start to pay the bills. And you never know. You just got to allow that the world is complex and uncertain and ambiguous. And when you are grounded in values and purpose, you're able to tolerate that with equanimity. So you're able to move forward even though the world is scary. But how do you tell a woman to tap into like what my values are? Like how do I discover those core values? Are there questions I ask myself or how do you get to that? Yeah, so one, they can look in my book because there's like a whole extra lesson how to do that. I have lots of stuff about it on my website and a new website I've launched just now called theexpansivewoman.com. But at its simplest form, your values are, there's clues to them everywhere. So they're in what you were like as a kid. They're in the things you like to do. They're in the things that you've been successful at. Other people probably have a pretty good idea of what your values are because you are actually living them to some degree, even though you may not be conscious of it. And they're in the things you long for in your life. And then what you want to do is make lists of all those things and take a week to do it. This is not like a half hour, bang it out in between meetings kind of <laughs> kind of exercise. This is a deep thinking, very important, take your time kind of exercise. And so you write all these lists out of all these things that could be values. And then you look for the commonalities. And usually three to five rise to the top as the things that are most important to you. I love that. 
And, you know, I love what you're doing through, you mentioned this briefly, one, your book, The Unstuck Leader. And I love it because it's five steps to eliminate the patterns and beliefs that are holding you back. So I encourage people, go out, like, uh, you know, like Judy said, you can get the information of how to start digging into those values. But also, girl, you have taken on a whole nother task, you know, (laughs) called the Expansive Woman Project. So you yourself are being watery and came up with this idea Tell me about the Expansive Woman Project. You told us a little bit about, you know, that we can go there and find some information on the values and stuff like that. But where did you come up with this idea? Was this one of the watery ideas that kind of came across your path? Yeah, it totally was. It totally was. Um, Because, you know, when I first started out as a coach, I was working with a lot of men in the tech startup world. But over time, it started shifting towards women. So now it's probably like 70% women, 30% men. And what I noticed in these women time and time again, was this tendency to make themselves small. Mm. This, you know, And it wasn't even, they were in somewhat of a contractive state, but it was more just this giving up their power, feeling that their power was dangerous. That's interesting. Yeah, a fear of their own internal power. Uh, because of those should values, they've been told that that power is bad or dangerous or makes them you know, uh, not ladylike or, or obnoxious, or I used to get called in my career all the time, blunt and dismissive. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a nice thing. <laughs> if I were a man, I'd be like, you know, Powerful. Like decisive and right. Like it was blunt and dismissive. So yeah, I would be like assertive and, and decisive. Those would have been, but yeah, no, I was blunt and dismissive. So, so we're told this, we're given this kind of feedback from the time we're quite young. And so we tend to make ourselves small. We think, who am I to be successful? Like, who am I to be that woman? And so I've had enough of it, <laughs> to be honest. It's like, You're no, like, I'm done with this. Yeah, no. So uh, I want more women to be expansive. I want more women to be grounded in solid core values and purpose and open to new ideas, people, and situations because I think we are extremely powerful and we have to stop fearing that power and we have to start taking that power because it's our time. Oh, do you know that that's what what I say all the time? It's your time. Oh my goodness, it's your time to shine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got it. See, but I think there's this undercurrent that a lot of us are starting to realize it, right? Like a lot of us are like, yeah, the way that men have been doing it isn't necessarily working out so well. (laughs) You know what? It's so true because I have heard, you know, as you're talking about this um, with the Expansive Woman Project and- this whole undercurrent, it's so true. Like people are like, you need to own your shine. You need, we need to own that. It's okay. So there's a lot of women hopefully coming out of this, you know, this pandemic and this time in in our lives that we're in more powerful. So tell me for women who want to connect to part of this project, what can they expect? I know it's free. So we want to say that because yes. this is a great opportunity. Hey, anytime you can get something for free, you got to jump on board, right? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't always happen. So exactly. tell me, women who participate in the project, what are they getting? What is this? What will that be like for them? So what they're going to get is, and I want to reiterate, it's free and it always will be. This is not about profit. This is about service for me. This is my service to the women I, I love and I want them all to be very powerful and wonderful. And we want lots and lots of them. I just launched the project a couple weeks ago. Um, so we want to have as many women as possible. They can get, first they'll get like a, week, a monthly newsletter from me with, with topics about women and leadership and expansiveness and that kind of stuff. I will be doing live Zoom. Zoom workshops. So if you want to do your values, we're going to do a values workshop 
And so Ooh, you can come okay. on for free and do your values. Uh, we're going to profile other women, um, expansive women. So we have a really impressive lineup of women who are part of the project already, and we'll be doing little profiles. There were, there already are blogs and videos on the site. So um, at theexpansivewoman.com. So, so go and check out those. And also I'm trying to figure out a way, and this is, I want to, I want to say a co-creation. So it's me and all these women figuring out together how we want the project to work. Um, but I want to figure out how I can connect women to each other. Ooh, I love that. Directly. So we can do it through Zoom workshops and all that kind of stuff. But I want to see a way that I can connect women one-on-one with each other so they can support each other because this is very much about support. It's very much about encouragement and and being a part of a, of a strong network of really great women. I love that you're doing this and that it's such a service. You know, you can just see it in your heart that that's what you want to do. And, you know, I love that you're bringing that to so many women who need it, you know, so that they can't say it's a cost thing that's prohibitive. It's themselves if they choose not to take advantage of it. And so the last thing I would ask you, Judy, if there was one piece of advice you could give to the women out there today, what would be that final golden nugget? Because you've just dropped all kind of golden nuggets here today. And you got me thinking, and I'm sure the women going, oh my gosh, I got to, there's so much, there's so much to learn from what she said. What would that be? What would that one piece of advice be? I tell every one of my clients and every presentation I do that the biggest learning they can take away from me is to stop trying to do everything yourself. That our lives are co-creations. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So you and I are co-creating right now and it feels really good. And we can co-create with the other women in our lives. We can co-create with our families. We can co-create with our teams. But we have to stop taking everything on ourselves and trying to do everything alone. It doesn't work. Oh, such a good way to end the podcast. You've been lovely. Thank you so much for all your words of wisdom. And don't forget, ladies, the Expansive Woman Project. Um, we'll have a link in the show notes so you can learn more about it and Judy. And she still coaches people, right? So I do. <laughs> if you want to go to her for coaching, you can still get that. You can tell that she has a lot of wisdom to share with the people that she's helping. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I absolutely loved it. What an energizing conversation. I just love that word, watery. And I wonder, how will you implement a little bit more wateriness in your life to help you find your passion? Don't forget to check out the show notes for more details about Judy's book and the Expansive Woman Project. That's going to do it for another episode of The Joy Sutton Show. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, share it with your friends, and leave a review so we can reach even more women from around the globe. And make sure to connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. I would love to hear from you. And always remember, this is your time to shine.